0: It's, well, not do it.
1: okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not coming on. Hello, how are you? Hi.
1: Hello. Three, left? Three left? Three left. Oh, it is,
0: it's on. Good, it came on, it came on. Okay, all right. It wasn't coming on, so we reset it, and it worked. So don't worry about that, I don't need to send that. And we're going to read uh, Psalm 119. Verse
1: 169 Yes Cross Tov 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 Yeah a v? with a V. Tov yeah. Okay cross sticks Mark Like as in Revelation And uh, sign Signal Monument may my, may my cry Come before you O Lord Give me understanding According to your word May my supplication Come before you Deliver me According to your promise May my lips Overflow with praise for you teach me your decrees? May my tongue sing of your word, all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me. I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. And your law is my delight. May live that I may praise you. May laws sustain me. I have strayed, a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. Uh, let's
0: go ahead and say a prayer here Heavenly Father, it sure is good to be in your presence tonight We thank you for the many blessings you blessed us with And uh, a lot of them are undeserved We know that, actually they're all undeserved But uh, you've graced us once again in uh, this nation And we thank you for that You've given us a reprieve from what was a certain end And now the future is maybe not uh, as dismal as it might have been But uh, we're going to wait and see how things turn out and. Uh, um, hopefully every person here will pray for our new leader and that his uh, counsel will be among with from wise and godly people and that he will uh, restore a sense of uh, faith and uh, understanding you in our nation once again but we'll just wait and see how it turns out And we do thank you at least that things turned out the way they did thank you for this class thank you for uh, each person here and uh, those who are attending online and, Lord, uh, we just ask that you help us to have a productive hour and a half here and that uh, our analysis would be according to your wishes and we wouldn't stray from proper con- context and uh, that uh, you would be glorified through it. And we do thank you for this precious word which you have given us. It is so wonderful. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. And uh, we just we also thank you above all for the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus and his shed blood which reconciles us to you. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll tell the people online that we got started a couple minutes late, and it wasn't intentional. The, the system didn't come on, so I had to turn it off and turn it on again. And it very well may have come on, but the light didn't come on. And so with that, you know, hopefully uh, nobody minds that. and uh, We'll get right into, uh, right into Romans 2, verse 5. And uh, like I said, before you read that, uh, I, I don't want to make any real political comments tonight. We know what, how things worked out. We know uh, what uh, uh, what the direction of the nation we hope will be. But I will say that uh, we, one, should pray for our new president, and two, we would want to hold him accountable for the platform that he signed to, yep. yes. because that is what I was voting on, and I think that's what most people are voting on. Uh, he's an unknown quantity. And he's got a, a History, like most people do I had one for most of my life And even after coming to Christ I've had a history that uh, has not been Fully devoted to the Lord And so, you know, we can hold people's past to account But what we want to do is hold his present to account And we want to uh, hope that uh, he would uh, live up to that And as I have said a couple times this week And I believe this That I think, just seeing how his demeanor has changed I think he's probably matured more in the past three months than he did in his first 70-some years of life. So we'll just uh, hope that he will continue down that path and that uh, we'll have godly appointees and uh, above all, the Supreme Court of the United States and uh, uh, moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem and the defunding of Planned Parenthood by the U.S. government. I would would hope that those three things first and foremost would be done, but he's got a, a big agenda ahead of him and we'll hope that he sticks to his guns. And uh, so let's get into uh, Romans 2, verse 5.
1: But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed.
0: <coughs> okay, what he's doing here, and I'm before I even get into my, my uh, notes that I compiled a couple of years ago, is that he is getting right back into where? Romans 1. Remember he said uh, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Well what does it say in Romans 1? It says um, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So he's deferring back to what he's already argued but he's doing it to the Jews which once again we don't know that yet. And He says in verse 1 therefore you are inexcusable O man. And he's setting the Jews up to realize at the end of, uh, where is it, about verse 16, I think it was, somewhere around there, where he, oh, verse 17, indeed, you who are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. So he's setting them up in advance. He's building a case against them so that when he gets to the terms you, O Jew, they will understand that he has been speaking to them. But in the meantime, he's going back to Romans 1, and he's saying that this argument naturally follows from what I said already. So he's a master of building up what he is uh, uh, deciding to relay in the end. He's, he's making this case, in other words, like a lawyer would. And he's very good at
1: it. So so just, to, just to kind of blend everything in together here, all the horrible acts that he has described yes. has all been happening happening in Israel
0: been happening in the world at large but he's okay. using first the, the world at large and then he's doing the same thing here but that is correct he's saying it about Israel right now but they don't know it yet and so he because they're trusting in their unrighteousness they're saying well we're Jews and we're not like those people mm-hmm. and so he's setting them up in this discourse by falling back on Romans 1 and saying that this is a natural course of events that people do this and then he's going to pull off the veil and say now look in the mirror because I'm speaking to you They've got this attitude that, oh, the Gentiles are the ones that need to come into the fold, when in fact the Jews are the one that need to come into the fold too. They haven't been living as they should. So um, we'll see. Here, these are my comments here. Verses 1 through 4 have laid out the argument for deserved judgment for those who should know better based on the nature of God that was revealed in the previous chapter, like I just said. Verse 4 then said, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Verse 5 now begins with but. This is to contrast an acceptance of the goodness of God. So you've got verse 4, or you despise the rich uh, riches and goodness, forbearance and all that of God, the goodness of God that leads you to uh, repentance. And then he inserts the word but. All right. Anytime you see these, these words, and it's more prominent, I think, when you're reading the Greek, because if you look like Hebrew or Greek, and if you know enough, to be dangerous is what they say uh, when you go to college and you take your first year of Hebrew or Greek. They say that person knows just enough to be dangerous now. Yeah. But the thing is that when I, if somebody is reading the Bible in Hebrew that is a Hebrew, they're not looking for things, they're just reading. It's like me when I read in English, I'm not looking, well, what is this word and what is this word? I just read the whole thing. But with me, when I read the Hebrew or the Greek, I have to look at every word and say, What does that mean? Because I'm not I'm not proficient in them. I know how to read them, and I can uh, speak them sometimes, probably pretty poorly. But I'm looking for what the word says before I'm looking for what the word means in its context. And so that's why when I do a sermon, I'll pull out the Haw Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, this big book, and I'll come to a new word in the Bible that has not been introduced yet, and I'll go and I'll read about it, and I'll read where it came from, and where that came from, all the way back to its root word. Well, a Hebrew person isn't going to do that. They're just going to read the Bible or the English for me. So when you're reading, if you take the time, if you make the effort of saying, what is the first word of this sentence? But. Or what is the first word of this sentence? Therefore. Those are key words that should help you say, let's go back and see what he was just saying but about. Because we don't do that in English. We just read and we assimilate everything kind of as a whole. But when you take it very carefully, as Paul would be because he's the one writing it. He's being precise because he's writing it. When I type my morning <coughs> devotionals, every word I try to think through. Whereas normally I wouldn't do that because I'm just typing something to a friend. But when I'm trying to think of an analysis of the Word of God, I try to be more precise. That's what's going on here. We need to pay attention to the keywords. But, um, so where was I? Um, <clears throat> contrast it to the acceptance of the goodness of God in the previous verse. <clears throat> in accordance with your hardness... And your impenitent heart, or yours says unrepentant heart, is that right? Uh, Impenitent heart shows that instead of softening one's heart and their stand on sin, they take the alternate course. The heart is hard and unyielding even in the presence of the mercy which God offers, the blessings he provides, and the election he made. Now, once again, we know that he's speaking about the Jew. It's not introduced yet, but we know that because I've told you that. The Jew had received all of these things, and yet they walked hevi- oh, yes, they walked heavily upon the good graces that were granted to them and we see that in churches too. We see churches that are you know full of saved believers, and eventually they start walking heavily on the good graces of God because you kind of forget your salvation, you forget the moment that you realized the weight of the sin that has been lifted off of your shoulders and that 's one thing that we should always do is return to the cross, return to the cross every single time that we think of anything in our life we should return to the cross because that our sin necessitated his death and if we remind ourselves of these things then we won't be as jaded and we won't take the grace of God so so callously or carelessly but um, he says um, where was I Um, uh, the Greek term for impenitent heart here is used only in this verse in the New Testament and it reveals the height and epitome of unrepentant sin so now once again think of Israel They've been redeemed by the Lord. They are, you know, they go down once a year to Jerusalem for the Day of Atonement, and they do the Passover once a year, and they do all these things, and they think, well, we're in God's good favor. Everything is okay. Their hearts get callous, and they become unrepentant in their sin because it doesn't matter that we're doing this thing over here. God has forgiven us over here. And so Paul is using this specific word to highlight the fact that this is a major, major offense to God. Um, as noted in verse 2, 3, this same logic, logic must now pertain to the church. We have likewise been grafted into the commonwealth and have received the same goodness. I was speaking about that a second ago. But how many in the church flagrantly tre- tread heavily upon these graces? And how much more has it been since the homosexual agenda? Where it, it, we literally flaunt this in his face. There are people that have said, I've been saved by Jesus. They grew up in a church, and all of a sudden, it's okay to be gay. I'm leaving my wife. And they're they're flaunting this in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord will not be mocked. So uh, the dispis- this despicable attitude in Jew or Gentile can have only one logical outcome. We are treasuring up wrath for ourselves, okay? I am a firm proponent of eternal salvation. The Bible doesn't teach anything else. Any verse that uh, is used against that doctrine is a verse which is misunderstood or taken completely out of context. If a person is saved, they are saved. But that does not mean that the Lord is happy with our actions when we do something wrong. It also doesn't mean that when we stand before the Lord, when we face his judgment, he is going to take away our rewards. And, you know, where what does it say? It says everything that we do, everything that we do is going to be presented before the Lord, and it's going to be either... Uh, silver, gold, and precious gems or really wood and stubble. That's right. All three of the latter burn up. There's going to be nothing left of all of the things that we did that we should not have been doing. And the first three are refined in heat, alright, or pressure if you have uh, uh, stones. But if you've got silver and gold and you put them in into the heat, they're going to be refined. The metal melts, the slag comes to the top, you scoop it off, and then you repeat that process until it's pure and then you can mint it as a U.S. coin. Or if you get to 100% pure, then you can say, enter now thou into the joy of my Lord, right? Only when you're purified are you going to enter into his presence. But in the process, you're going to have to be refined. And we're all going to go through that refining process. Every one of them. And so everything that we do right now counts for our eternal whatever the Lord is going to offer to us. Rewards and or losses. Which... I think for most of us it'll be a lot of losses and some rewards you know I don't think anybody can say we're going to get a lot of rewards without really thinking way too highly of themselves because we're going to be measured against the standard which is Christ's perfection Then I got to tell you what I can't think of a day of my life where I've gone to bed and said boy I met that (laughs) I can't think of 10 minutes where I did it but uh, anyway um, uh, we treasure up things that we desire the most that's what we do and if we're treasuring something up, it's because we desire it. Some people treasure up silver and gold. Some people treasure uh, up, you know, albums. Oh, speaking of albums, good time to introduce this. I got a shirt on. If you were from the 1980s, you would remember, you'd know the pun. If you weren't, then you're probably not going to get it. But it uh, says Guns and Moses. And there was in the, yeah, that's right. There was in the uh, 80s a band called Guns and Roses. And so uh, somebody amended it. And so this is my... Second Amendment right, and this is my First Amendment right. So Anyway, that came from my friend out in a classified area. I don't want to say where they're from, but uh, they came to visit a while ago, and uh, uh, they sent that to me, so I appreciate that. Guns and Moses. But uh, anyway, some people treasure up rock music, and some people treasure up... uh, you know, I mean, people collect anything. When I was a kid, I used to collect beer cans. I mean, oh, yeah. You still do. Yeah, well, mm. no, <laughs> beer cans, you know, unusual beer cans. Cone tops and flat tops and all of the different cans from around the world. And it was, some of them would sell for thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. I found a Durst beer can in the wall of the house when it was being worked on. Mm-hmm. And it was from 1950s. It's a Florida beer called Durst, which means thirst in German. And that thing's still in my bathroom today, where, right in the same wall where it was taken care of taken out of, we built a shelf into it, and so I put the can there, and that thing's probably worth it. If you're still a beer can collector, I could probably get a few hundred dollars for it. It's in perfect condition, and yeah, so beer cans, whatever. What are you storing you up your treasure for? The what? We'll recycle We'll recycle that one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got boxes and boxes of beer cans that I, I just put away, but you know, that was the big thing when I was young, was beer can collections, and oh, um, I, oh yeah, I, there are people that... Go online and look at beer cans for sale, and uh, you'll you'll see some that go into thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean you're talking about the old cone tops. Remember, they it was before my time, but they had cones, and you took the top off like that, and you it was like a like an oil can. You know, the old oil can. That's what they looked like. Then then they had the flat tops where you had to pry it open, and then after that they came up with the pull tabs, and then they came up with the whatever the pull tabs we have now, and it's you know over the, the pull years it's tabs changed. Came off. Yeah, the pool it'd tabs the that came off.
1: Yeah, that's right. That, that
0: and, and you'd put them stay. down into your drink, your Coke or whatever, and then you'd always worry <laughs> if it's going to slip down your mouth. And, anyway, so yeah, everything evolves. Beer cans did too. But um, uh, so we treasure up. What do we treasure up is what I'm getting at. Some people treasure up family photos, right? That's what they, their whole life is about, their photos. If we love sports, we may treasure sports memorabilia. If we love money, silver and gold. We put these things in store because they are precious to us and they have our heart buried with them. Paul is saying that those who fit this verse's description are treasuring up wrath. Now think about that. You know, I'm going to defy God. I'm going to do something that I want to do, knowing that it's wrong, and we've got the government now that's telling people it's okay to do it. People aren't critical thinkers anymore because we've taken that out of school. So they say, oh, the government says it's okay, therefore it must be okay. Once again, where do morals come from? Do they come from government? Do they come from society? Do they come from culture? Do they come from personal mores? Or do they come from God? If they come from God, which we all know they do, then that takes us back to Romans 1. We have to suppress that. We have to suppress the knowledge. And everybody does that if they are going to do something immoral or something wrong. They are treasuring up wrath. They know it, and this is where they want their devotion to be, And so they treasure up wrath. They may not think they're treasuring up wrath. They're treasuring up something they think is pretty cool at the time. But in the back of their mind, they are treasuring up wrath. And that is what Paul is telling us there. They know it. They know it. Based on his argument thus far, we know without a doubt, we have two missionaries in here tonight. Did you know that? (laughs) We had one. I can't say where she's from, but she just walked in. And then we have, um, I'm going to mispronounce it, Gurudak.
1: Yes, sir. Okay, there you
0: go. And he's from Suriname. He's visiting for six months, and uh, uh, so uh, uh, he'll be here. And then he's going back to into the mission field. But uh, I, I appreciate you coming, and good to have you again tonight. I didn't know you. I thought you wouldn't be here. I thought you said that you'd be not here. No. Oh, Saturday, you're not going to be here. You're going to be going for two weeks away. Okay, so I'm glad to see you. And you ever show up late again, I'm going to lock the door. Um, <laughs> Uh, Don't worry about it a bit Um, So uh, let's see here Treasuring up wrath And um, without a doubt We know this so far without a doubt That wrath is due for our belligerence And uncaring attitude Towards the sin we commit We know it But we continue down the same path Actually storing up more and more of God's wrath Knowingly and willingly Like I say Just think of anything you did in high school That you knew was wrong Dad would be upset If dad knows or could find out, and God does know, and you know he knows, just think. And we do it anyway. We perversely follow a a course which is wrong, whatever it is. You know, some people like to steal. Some people like to, you know, sexual sins. And some people want to, whatever. You know that you're doing wrong. And, And there are people, and I understand this. There are people, and I don't know what the term is, but they have no conscience at all. And uh, uh, what is that called? There is a word. and the
1: uh, What? Uh,
0: unborn. Yeah, unborn. No, there are people that actually have no conscience. They, they have no empathy. Psych-
1: sociopaths.
0: Sociopaths. There are sociopaths out there. And uh, how they got that way, I don't know. There's probably a, a missing brain squiggle or something. But, but uh, uh, there are people like that. And then you get kleptomaniacs, which just steal impulsively. They may not even know they're doing it. I'm talking about normal people that are functioning in a society that know that they're doing wrong. So, uh, you know, it, it's one thing. And, of course, people will say, well, if that guy is, is doing that, how can he be held accountable? That's where original sin comes in. We don't need to go any further than that. Original sin comes in, he's condemned already anyway. You know, if he got a, a bad lot in life, guess what? Some people were born in Morocco, and some people were born in Sarasota, Florida, and some people were born, you know, in Canada, whatever. It, it, it is God's decision. He is sovereign over all of those things. And uh, th- that's why the, the, the agenda which has been going on, it, not politics here, just from a, a, the liberal progressive agenda which has been going on, which goes on in every society, is to diminish those things and to say, well, everybody should be given a, 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 an exact even plate, whether it's in communist Russia or whether it's what we've been going through for eight years. And that's not even what the Constitution said. The writers of the Constitution never said that. They said that all men are created equally. You have got something to do with that. You have the same opportunities. It may be in a different location, if you want, move, whatever. But everybody has been given the opportunity to get to work. You know, it just we're created in a certain way, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be able to live out that life in the exact same way as the guy next to us. That is unreasonable and. We, we, we just can't go down that path. But anyway, um, okay, so people storing up wrath knowingly and willingly. <clears throat> this will be poured out, meaning the wrath, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which is what that verse says. It is not a question of if, but when. The things that God abhors based on his unchanging nature of goodness, justice, righteousness, and so on, must be judged. And it will come out in a terrifying way when it does. The cross of Jesus Christ proves it. And I'm glad I put that in there because I was thinking as I was reading it, and I may have to go in further, but let me continue. Uh, The horror, which, yes, this is exactly what I was thinking, so I don't have to, to say it, but the horror of which he suffered to remove our judgment is reflective of what all people deserve. Therefore, it can be meted out in him as our substitute, or it will be meted out in each of us directly. No other option exists, and the judgment is final. Okay? Um, Well, let me read the last paragraph and then I'll tell you my thoughts. For those who have trusted Christ, the punishment is past. Okay? That's all there is to it. And that's why salvation must be eternal. If you've trusted in Christ and He has borne your sins to say that you are going to again face God's wrath, means that He didn't do a very effective job at saving us in the first place. Okay? Either you're saved or you're not saved. Everything after that moment comes down to rewards and losses. They're verse after verse after verse. If you take them logically to their logical conclusion, that was pretty ineffective if we can lose our salvation. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it with that issue. Think it through and you will see. Either Christ, and if it is up to us to do something after we are saved, then it's still of works. Because if it's up to us to keep being saved, then it wasn't of grace by faith. Because that means Mm -hmm. grace by faith isn't it's not a one-time, I mean, it is a one-time thing, but not an all-time thing. It's either a one-time-for-all-time thing, or it's not a thing at all. That's that's how grace by faith works. So, um, uh, let's see here. For those who have trust in Christ, the punishment is past. Judgment for the believer will be based on their life after accepting Christ for rewards or losses. Okay, one of my friends emailed me this past week, and uh, he said... Um, do you think that our sins will be brought back up at the judgment? Anybody got an opinion on that?
1: I would mm-hmm. say yes.
0: You would say yes. The
1: only reason why I say that is just, just to say, just to, to more so show the value of what Christ has done for us. Okay. It's like, okay, well, here's your garbage dump size uh, Okay, well, maybe I should this restate not, this.
0: Maybe I should restate you know, this will our sins be brought up at our judgment in the presence of everybody?
1: No. no.
0: no. no. Okay. I think so. I, I, you, you think well, so? No, I, oh, I was okay. going to say, 2 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation.
1: To right, Jesus
0: but that, but that, that, that doesn't bring up the issue of whether mm-hmm. he... Presents our sins before us for everybody else to see. It
1: might not be a formal thing, but they're all laying over there in the corner. That's right. Well, we know that. We know that. But
0: Burke's got something here. What do you have?
1: Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west.
0: He will not bring our sins back up in the presence of others to embarrass us. Because if they are removed from us, and he brings them up for others to see, that they're they're not as far as the. That's exactly right. They're, they are still in our presence. He has forgiven us and He has cleansed us of our sins. That's why. And this is something that I I, I really I'm going to say it, and some people are going to be horrified that I'm going to say this. But uh, I had somebody um, send me something. I can't remember what. Or maybe it's something I've read in a, a devotional or something. And I could not have disagreed with this guy more. A lady was having an affair on her husband for thirty some years. Okay. Yeah. And she met Christ and she went into the pastor and the pastor said should I tell my husband and he told her yes you have to tell your husband and I thought that was the stupidest thing that he could have told her now if he finds out great the Lord allowed that to happen but for her to go and tell him could mean and in her case she was very fortunate that it didn't but it could mean that their marriage is now over And that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord has forgiven her sins. It doesn't need to go any further. If I was to tell my wife every single thing that I did wrong since the time we got married on the day that I became a Christian, she would have killed me with the Ginsu knife. That's that's all there is to it. The Lord has forgiven us of our sins. And if you disagree with me, you disagree with me. But I cannot see. And I heard this. I was at a youth group. what are you, whatever you call it in school Youth for Christ thing down in Venice one time One of my friends was all excited about the Youth for Christ ministry down there And he uh, uh, took me one day And the guy was saying exactly that He was, he was telling the kids you, know, you gotta do this and you gotta do that And you gotta, you gotta Take every single sin that you've ever committed And you have to confess it individually to the Lord And he went through this long thing like this and I left. I thought, I'm not going to do that. You know, that, that's insane. That, that, that's crazy. He knows us. Why would I do that? And I just remember thinking, and he was saying, I had to do this because I got sick. And until I did this, I didn't get well again. And my thought on that was, I know a lot of people that have come to Christ and they didn't get sick. And if he deals fairly with everybody in the same way, then it just, none of it made sense. So for years, I, you know, it took me until I was 36 to come to Christ, and, because you hear stupid stuff like that. But
1: I will I, say, yes. when I came to Christ, I probably spent three weeks just crying all the stuff oh, yeah. that I have...
0: I spent three months, so you, took, you, you well, got the yeah, shorts. I, I, yeah. I only
1: remember the three weeks. It could have been three years for all I know, but... But nonetheless, it was like, you know, you're just aware of it. And maybe my mind thought of that. It's like, okay, maybe he's not kind of stacked up next to the the judgment seat there, but it's it's still in my heart. But but we know know it. That's right.
0: But if our sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. He's not going to bring them out in front of everybody to embarrass us. I just don't believe that. Now, this is all speculation because we're not there yet, but you're right. We are not destined for wrath, but salvation by Jesus. But that doesn't really address the question my friend had. And I think he was concerned, because he's done things in his life, maybe, that he doesn't want anybody to know. Maybe he doesn't want his mom to know, or, you know, whatever, sure, whoever. Sure. And why would the Lord do that? Why would he embarrass the people that he's redeemed? I just, I I, I, don't, I don't see that. It, and, you know, like I say, the Bible doesn't really address that specifically, except verses like what Burke quoted. It's an Old Testament verse, but it's still dealing with the salvation of the Lord. I will cast your senses. And most people have heard me say this. I may have said it in the Bible class. I know I said it on Sunday, but if um, I have said it in the Bible class. I'm sorry, because I try not to repeat these things. But uh, if you are... This is the world that we live in. And if you're in an airplane and you get in the airplane from Syracuse to Florida and you head up to the North Pole, when you get to the North Pole and you start heading back down the other way to the South Pole, when you get to the North Pole... The compass goes from pointing north to pointing south. You know that you've reached the north. If you are in an airplane and you start in Sarasota, Florida, and you start heading east, and you get over here, and you keep going, and you keep going, and the compass never says anything but, I'm sorry, heading west, it never says anything but heading west. And that's the point that the Lord was making. Before they knew that there was a north and south pole, he was saying that I've created this world to show you he could have said, you know, as far as the north is from the south, and that's what most people think is north and south. But he didn't do that because if he did, there is a point where your sins will come back to you. When it flips over, your sins are going to come back to you. But if you're going east to west, it will never come back to you. You'll be going forever for eternity. Isn't that great? Right? Yeah, Praise the Lord great. for Jesus. Okay, look at my hair standing up all over my arms right now. Woo woo woo. Pre science uh, wisdom. Pre- science. Yeah, that's right. Pre science wisdom, right mm. from the Bible, vindicated by the Bible. Yes. Can I help you,
1: ma'am? It does say, and I can't think where, that we do have to give an account of every idle word.
0: That's right. That's Jesus speaking to the Jews under the law.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. There we go. Um, but what about the. When he, he told Peter, you know, of course, Peter believed. That yes. He had been redeemed by the Lord. Sure. Because of his faith. Um, but when he was talking about sin, he was washing his feet. Right. So. we're still got a sin nature that's true that we have to deal with I mean he's forgiven us right but don't we still have to oh absolutely that's pictured in the that's pictured in oh uh, is it this week anyway I've got a couple more sermons before we get into the different sermons I said this week that it would be but um, uh, the one on the brazen altar pictures that and what Christ was doing in there this this is just something real quick diversion because you brought it up Let's go to the passage. I think it's like John uh, 13 or... Anyway, we'll find it really quickly. He's washing their feet, and uh, it's much more involved than I'm going to give you. I'm just going to give you a very quick uh, uh, whatever of this. But uh, he's... uh, Let's see here. Where is it? Don't wash me. Wash my feet also. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Where is... Oh, yeah, right. It is 13. So he says... um, And the supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that his father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments. Now, you know, this is the thing that amazes me, and I brought this up in a sermon about a year ago, is that think, think of this while we're reading it, because it's a passage that you read and you don't really think. This is the creator of everything. Now, they may not have realized that at this point, but this is the creator of every single thing on this planet. And he takes off his clothes and he gets a towel and he puts it around himself and he starts washing their feet. Now, we talk about Jesus washing his feet, and I'm, I want you to be to do these things because I'm giving you an example, right? We could never meet that example. We could never. It doesn't matter what we do, how much we give, how much we do, we could never meet that example. This is the creator of every single thing on this planet doing a job that was the lowest of the slaves in the house. Unbelievable. If you think of it from that perspective, this is the grace and mercy of God right here. It is astonishing if you think about it from that perspective. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing. You do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, not understanding, he says, uh, you shall never wash my feet. Now, why would he do that? Because this is the master, and this is the lowest job of anybody in the world. You're not going to do that to me. It's degrading. He has no idea what he's saying. He has no idea what picture is being made, and he's just saying that's not going to happen. So Jesus answers and said to him, um, or, I'm sorry, I'm um, sorry. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Right? So, Peter being over impulsive goes to the opposite direction then. He says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but, my hand, uh, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Okay? What he's doing there is he's making a picture for us which goes all the way back to the bronze laver of the Old Testament which is mentioned a couple of times. It's not mentioned again. It's one of those very curious items in the uh, tabernacle. But the first time it was used was to wash Aaron and his sons completely. And after that, they were to wash their hands and their feet every time they went in or out of the tabernacle or when they were at the brazen altar. And that was it, their hands and their feet. And he was taking that and he was applying it to what he was doing to them. He uses two different words in this passage in the Greek. We get the word wash, okay, but there's two different words being used. One is nipto and one is luo. I hope I'm pronouncing the second one right. L-O-U-O. Anyway, um, uh, one of them is a full bath, and that's why in the the next verse it says, uh, he who is bathed. You're completely clean. But when you walk outside, what happens when you're walking outside? You pick up the dirt of the world. That's right. And so he's washing their feet and saying that you need, it's a picture of our justification before the Lord. We are purified, we are sanctified, it is done, okay? But we pick up defilement in the world, and so we need to wash ourselves, okay? Now, that picture, if you saw that sermon, you know exactly what that water pictured. Where do we get our ongoing sanctification from? I'll give you a hint. Anybody? That's right, from the book, okay? Okay that is where we get it from that's what it pictures we don't get sanctified by going into a charismatic church and making a fool of ourselves we don't get sanctified by all of the crazy things that people think we get sanctified by reading this word applying it to our lives and then living out what this word says and that is what that picture is being made of and that's why when you go through the Bible and you see the practice of feet washing okay who did Abraham he washed somebody's feet whose was it? It was the Lord, it says right in there, Y-H-W-H, it was the Lord Jehovah, and the two people with him. All right? When uh, we have a contradiction in the Bible, oh my goodness, it says uh, uh, that uh, he told Mary when she was about to jump on him at the tomb, he said what? Don't Don't touch me. Right? But in another one of the accounts, it says that they went and clung on to his feet. Why? It all pictures the same thing, picking up the dirt of the world. He's the Lord. He's walking on the dirty earth. He is pure. He is clean. He is undefiled. But the feet have picked up the defilement of the world. They can't touch him, but its he's making a picture for us. Okay. He's making a picture of salvation, of sanctity, of holiness. And you'll see that all the way through the Bible. When you look at the washing of the feet, the feet are exempt, and that's why they could grab his feet, whereas she couldn't grab onto him. Because, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but what happens if you touch, touch a dead body in Israel? You're,
1: uh, you're defiled. You're defiled,
0: that's right, okay? And you have to go through a certain purification mm-hmm. process. The people that touch Jesus' body would be considered defiled, mm-hmm. right? And yet he is the one that cleanses them, okay? If he didn't die, they could never be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And so that takes us to the picture of the red heifer. People are saying, "Oh, we got a red heifer coming. We're getting a red heifer in uh, in uh, Israel, and that's going to clean up the Jews." It's a picture. The picture is fulfilled, as is the entire Old Testament. The red heifer. It's in uh, Numbers six, is it? Or Numbers? Anyway, um, let me look really quickly. If I don't find it, doesn't matter because I'll explain it to you. But uh, anyway, the red heifer is this animal, and it's supposed to be taken and it, it it's killed, and they use they burn it up, and they throw in. Um, I'm going the wrong direction. They burn it up. They throw in um uh, uh, scarlet and cedarwood and all this other stuff when they're burning it, and it's used as the water for purification. That's the Nazarite. Then after the Nazarite, you've got the uh, blessing. And uh, okay, it's not right there, but anyway, it's it's right around here somewhere. It's in the I, Book of I'm Numbers. And
1: Leviticus.
0: what's that? I, I don't think it is. I think it's in Numbers, but it could be in Leviticus. Doesn't matter anyway. Um, uh, it, it, the process is what matters, and I was just going to read it to you. Uh, t- to burn up time. But, no, um, no. uh for purification?
1: It, yes.
0: It's for purification purposes. And They took this water from this animal and they would sprinkle on them and it would clean them for anybody that had been defiled by a dead body. If somebody died next to you, you'd have to be purified. If you were in a battle and you killed somebody or touched a dead body, you'd have to be purified. If you didn't be purified, you were to be cut off from the people. Okay? But the red heifer, every single person that was associated with the killing and the burning and the carrying out all the carcass and all of this everything is or or not the carcass the uh, the, all of the stuff that was taken Mm -hmm. outside the camp everybody that touched any part of this process was unclean they were unclean and yet the water from the thing is what made them clean it's a picture of Christ he died, they couldn't touch his dead body because that would make them unclean, and yet his dead body is the only thing that can purify us. so the red heifer only pictures the work of Christ. it was looking forward to what he would do for us anyway that's that's a real short analysis but does that answer your question? I don't remember what you originally said but but uh, uh, the the bath is what purifies us, and then the washing is what continues our sanctification because actually we are sanctified the moment at, at, when you look at that sanctification and i'll be talking about it this week or next week or in one of these sermons that's coming the sanctification process is past tense in the bible except for a couple instances we are sanctified just as we are right now seated in the heavenly realms with christ uh, jesus okay that's uh, ephesians 2 4 through 7 according to the bible we are seated there past tense and yet we're still here so when you look at these, these concepts, you have to look at the fullness of what God is doing. This is done. it's a, In his mind, it is completely done, just like eternal salvation, but you've got to do this and this and this in the process if you want to have a happy result. All of that bears on what we're talking about right now, is that there's one thing going on for eternity, and there's another thing that's going on now for us, which will bear on eternity. Okay? We're not going to... Yes?
1: Ben Heffer, 19th of Numbers.
0: Numbers 19. I knew it was in Numbers. I know. We'll read it really quickly, just because you spent all that time looking for it. And I, I wasn't going to do all of that, but uh, uh, I should have remembered that. Why didn't I remember Numbers 19? Okay, um, here we go. We'll read it very quickly. Um, just because it's interesting, think of Jesus and what he did, and then you'll see what the red heifer signifies. Um, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come, you shall give to Eliezer the priest that he may take it outside the camp and sla- it, uh, be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer the priest mm-hmm. shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal, uh, shall be burned. Everything. The whole thing is completely burned up. And the priest shall take cedar wood, hyssops, and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So he's unclean. He's touched this dead body, which is the only thing that can make them clean after they touch a dead body. So this is one of those great mysteries of the Bible. It's said, this is Jewish tradition, that Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, could not grasp the significance of the red heifer. He could not understand how something could could come from something unclean. Well, of course, he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't understand what Christ was coming to do. That out of his unclean death comes our cleansing. And it's the only way for it to happen. Okay. Um, then the high priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward come to the camp and he shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. Then they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for water of purification, and it is purifying for purifying from sin. And guess what? Verse 10, And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Right? It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel. It shall be a statute um, and to them and to the stranger who dwells among them. And here's what it's for. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. So if they touched Jesus' dead body, they would have been unclean. Right? Um, he shall purify himself on the, uh, with the water on the third and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. Some translations say he shall purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day he will be unclean. The Hebrew can read, it, it, it's kind of ambiguous. Anyway, um, whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because of the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. Okay? And then it goes on with the other parts of it. I'm not going to go through it all, but that's the law of the red heifer. And if you know Christ, then you understand why that could happen. But if you don't know Christ, if you're in the Old Testament, you think, what are they doing? It's because it doesn't make any sense without understanding what Christ well, did for us. Right, yes. Outside, oh. the camp, Jesus
1: crucified crucified
0: outside, outside the camp Crucified outside the camp. That's right. right. Outside yeah, the walls it, of it, Jerusalem. It's, it's the, everything.
1: About, yeah, the, the, well, but There is, is a it? missing piece that makes it like a mystery that... Um, okay, the Jews saw, saw this happen. Right. yet they said, okay, you know what? We're either not purifying ourselves or not waiting until the evening or something. There's something there that, that, that a Jew should, should clue to. into.
0: But they didn't. And, they didn't. I
1: mean, even today. I understand. But today? they
0: do. There are Jews that are willing to. When you have presuppositions that Jesus was a bad guy, Yeah, you're not. You're never going to believe it unless you're willing to say I wonder what this means and right. wait, let me check this out. Yeah. There are Jews and they'll come to a passage like the red heifer and they'll come to Christ or they'll come to Jeremiah 31 and they'll say behold I make a new covenant with Israel and they'll say wait a minute, I've never heard that before. Stan Telkin that's how right, he right, c- right. came to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, Or uh, I'll tell you another one in a minute. You had something.
1: Okay. Two things. You know. yes. <laughs> okay, number one Jesus was resurrected. They didn't go into the tomb to make them unclean. When he, he was out, he was in the resurrection body. That's right. He wasn't yeah. acting dead. <laughs> he wasn't dead. Okay. Now, well, I understand outside that. Outside the camp is outside Judaism.
0: But what did Jesus say before you go on with the first one? Oh, what did Jesus say? I must descend to my father. That's Your right. Father. He had to prove his death, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that had to occur before that happened. That's why. Even though he was in his resurrection body, even though he was resurrected, he he was still not known, not verified, okay? And so he says he has to ascend to the Father. And then he shows up not long afterward, and it's okay, but that's why the women... But anyway, go ahead with the next one.
1: Outside the camp is outside Judaism. Yes. Moses took the tent when he went to meet the Lord outside, outside Judaism.
0: Out. Well, it's outside the
1: camp. Well,
0: But that's what Hebrews is equating it to. That's correct. It's outside the construct of the law of, of Judaism. Exactly. That is what that is. Yes. And that's what he, uh, Hebrews says. So, But it's, it is literally so, and it is also allegorically so. Literally, it's not outside the camp of Judaism. He just simply was outside of the camp from the people he was separated from the people so literally they're not thinking well he's outside of Ju-. you see what I'm saying they have a picture being made of something that's coming the final picture is that it's outside of the camp of Judaism but for them that's not what they're thinking okay it he fulfilled what they all of these little things are types and pictures that's why they actually had a labor and that's why they actually washed. Or that's why they had a bronze altar is because it was picturing Christ so outside of the camp where Moses went was just saying, mm-hmm. you're not in my favor, picturing that. And that's why it was, well, we're not there yet. I don't think we've done that sermon, but uh, we haven't. Well, yes, we have, because the, I don't know. I get so confused. I got so many sermons going on in my head because I got the one that I'm typing. I've got the one that I'm doing this week. I've got the one that I've done the, the video effects for next week, and then the one that's
1: 10 ah. weeks out, which I, 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 I so but I get very you're, confused and what? You're, you're, um, your final chapter or verses of um, Exodus is done.
0: You yes, were, it is. You were about that. That's right. And I'm like, That's looking right. at the book, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, it, 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 like... it's 10 sermons out, so it'll be like, I think I figured it was the middle of December. I can't remember. But anyway, Yeah. Exodus is done, and it's typed. Right. It's all done, but I set them aside for 10 weeks, right. and that way I can come back and I can find my errors. And, and he still finds errors. He yeah. reads them all, and he says, you know, you spelled this word wrong, or there's, <laughs> whatever. Because it's hard to catch it, your own errors, but it's that's impossible. why I do that. And uh, But I'm always thinking the way that I typed, and so it's it, it's not easy. And um, uh, Then you
1: got spell-checked.
0: Yeah, you got spell-checked. But, that, the but, but the, 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 most of them are like... Spellcheck yes. isn't going to pick up its right. and its. Yeah, it's not right. going to pick up. And so I just always have all kinds of little things there that I never catch. Anyway, um, but yes, Exodus is done, and uh, we'll be into our next book here Monday. Oh, I can't wait to start. Um, uh, okay, so uh, let's see here. Um, where what? Okay, for those who have trusted in Christ, I've already said that. Um, no, I haven't. For those who have trusted in Christ, the punishment is past judgment for the believer will be based on their life after accepting Christ for rewards or losses and we can go to Romans 14 10 really quickly which is ahead of us but uh, Romans 14 verse 10 says uh, um, be kind oh I'm in 12 gotta be in right chapter 10 but why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother shall we for shall we all for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he's speaking to believers so our judgment for condemnation is passed, but there is a reward and loss judgment coming. Romans 14.5 and also in...
1: Uh, Romans 14.12 there, you, you should have read 12.
0: Oh, yes, I, and I put that right here, but I typed it wrong, so give me a second. Oh, while pen. I'm doing this... Yes, pen, thank you. Um, while I'm doing this, if anybody wants any A batteries, they're almost entirely charged. Please take them home. i got a million of them. And um, uh, I've already explained why But I'm, I'm getting too many So please come and take them if you need Triple uh, A, they, they're double A batteries And I always have a million of them So please take them Because they start rolling around the pulpit When they come out of my, my box um, uh, Okay, Romans 14.10 And then Romans 14.12 says um, uh, I'm in the wrong chapter again Romans 14.12 So then each of us shall give an account Of himself to God Okay and then we also have um, uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. I want to read that to you. And uh, just so that we have 2 Corinthians 5, 5 9, and 10 say, um, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the good and the bad after salvation will be judged by the Lord. Once again, if you did all bad, suppose you did all bad, does it say anything about losing your salvation there? No.
1: Just be living under
0: a bridge. Yeah, you'd be living under a bridge up in heaven, but that's right. Uh, um, All, he doesn't make any distinctions and when he uh, rebukes somebody, or when he says, I'm handing them over to Satan, he always qualifies it with the words that their spirit may be saved in the day of Christ mm-hmm. Jesus, etc., yes. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He goes all the way through. Every time that he says something, he never, Paul, and where do we get our church age doctrine from? The letters of Paul. That's right. So, Paul never, not one time in all of his writings, questions a person's salvation. He never says that person has lost their salvation. He never says you can lose their salvation. If you go outside of Paul, you are going to fundamentally err because they are not writing to the church. Paul is the apostle to the Gentile church age, the Gentile-led church age. This is where we get our doctrine from. Everything else is useful and profitable for training and you know that, that verse from Timothy, but it is not speaking to us for doctrine in the sense of this is what we need for our conduct during this church age. If you get away from the letters of Paul or you start mixing dispensations, you will err. And that's why every single prophecy update you ever see on somebody, you know, they, they begin saying, "Well, I know that um, no man knows the day and the hour," and they equate that to the rapture. <coughs> it has nothing to do with the rapture. They start talking about the five um, uh, wise virgins and the five um, unwise virgins, right? And they start equating that with the church. And they, then somebody starts emailing, "Well, what about this? And what about this?" Because it makes no sense at all. Because it's not speaking to us in the church age. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse nothing to do with the church it is dealing with Israel under the law and those final seven years when they are going through the tribulation period, if you read it from that perspective it makes all of the sense in the world there's no contradiction, there's no what about this, it's because it's not being said to us for doctrine it's being said to us for for doctrine for us, it's being said to us for doctrine about what is coming or what has been We can't mix dispensations and come up with sound theology. Um, Once again, if you don't understand this, a much better teacher on these uh, issues than me would be Les Feldick. You can watch him on almost any Christian TV channel at any time. He's a farmer. He just stands there with a white shirt on, and he's he's very sound, and he goes through the Bible, and he's exceptional teaching on these things. If you listen to him, you'll understand. Paul is where we get our church-age doctrine. Don't go to other places for that. But you can find pictures of it in the Old Testament. We've seen a million of them in Genesis and Exodus. You can find pictures of what's coming, but you can't confuse what is going on and come up with sound doctrine. So, Burke, you had something. Yes.
1: When you start to go under that bridge up there, the Lord has a sign there. See John fourteen three.
0: Yep, John fourteen three. Go ahead.
1: So in my father's house. Sir.
0: Oh, that's right. Our many mansions. That's right. And this uh, is yours.
1: A place for this you. is yours. Down under the
0: You're down under the bridge. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh boy, that's very good. Okay. So two questions
1: though, for clarity purposes. Okay, clarity. You said that um, uh, Solomon could not understand the bread heifer. Where where was that?
0: That's a Jewish tradition. That's oh, not really? in the Bible. That's okay. a Jewish tradition. That's why I said that is because the the Jews say that this is the one mystery that he pondered, and that's been passed down by the Jews forever. Second question.
1: Uh, it's not really a question. I guess it's a teaser here. Is that, are you going to mention about Psalm and Proverbs being used by Paul in this particular verse?
0: Um, Proverbs mentioned by Paul in this particular verse. Wait a minute. Where are we? What verse are we in? We are in uh, s- two five. Five. Correct. It's
1: um, six actually. Where he, uh,
0: oh, Proverbs one eighteen. Let's go there. No, I didn't I usually don't look at those Just because You know, if I know that it's a proverb I'll, I'll quote it But uh, we'll go there just because you said it And I've got to get back to the Proverbs Which is after the Psalms Yep, uh, 118 Let's see here you, you know, if I look at all of the little reference things I'd never get the devotional done in the morning <laughs> there, there are just millions of them but, um, but they lie in wait for their own blood They lurk secretly for their own lives Huh
1: Stick your finger over
0: in 29.1 Proverbs, Proverbs 29.1 Okay, let me go there Proverbs 29 verse 1 uh, Let's see here He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck Will suddenly be destroyed And that without remedy. No, remedy no remedy there, that's right So, uh, but There's this unrepentant heart there
1: unrepent, That's right
0: you got an unrepentant heart then You're going to suffer You're going to suffer because of it Absolutely right um, Okay, so let's see here Uh, I've read that twice. For all others, this is for the people that are not going to the rewards and losses judgment, okay? For all others, there's but one possibility. A finite crime against an infinite God requires an infinite punishment, the lake of fire. This will be executed in all remaining humanity as is noted in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Now, that's talking about all other humanity during the church age because there are other dispensations with different things going on. If you are in the tribulation period, you missed the rapture uh, road, Okay, then you have to take the uh, uh, tribulation trail. Hmm. We're going to go that way. Okay, Can you be saved? Yes. 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 It says that those who are beheaded for and do not take the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. guess what? They're going to be resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. They're going to go through the thousand year millennial reign of Christ and it says in that verse about them that they cannot die because uh, uh, let me read it to you so that people understand this this is people that did not make the uh, did not make the uh, the cut they didn't call on Jesus before the tribulation they're gonna have to prove that they were uh, uh, they're gonna they're in a different economy and they're gonna have to do something different let me see if I can find this um uh, 19 lab verse um, hang on maybe it's 18 anyway um, seven bulls mystery Babylon seven kings I'm gonna find it here in just a second you guys get me off on these rabbit trails and it's all your fault Um, let's see here one great hour rejoice the Lamb. hallelujah okay Uh, he's coming back 19 oh here it is right here verse 20 Um, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image these two were cast alive into the lake of fire uh, burning with brimstone And the rest were killed with the sword. Um, Okay, that's not what I wanted. Um, Hang on a minute. Uh, Oh, here it is, verse 4, 24. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. This is during the tribulation. And for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished, okay? This is the first resurrection. This has nothing to do with the rapture. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years, and when the second death, you know, the, the second judgment, and those people will be condemned, these people won't. But they will have to prove their allegiance to Christ in a different way than we do now, Okay? How? Much harder. I, what? Much, harder. much harder yeah a little sharper and more ouchy <laughs> anyway um, uh, and you know it's speculation but suppose somebody goes into the tribulation and doesn't get beheaded right but they were faithful to Christ during that time frame they never had the opportunity to get their head cut off they're going to enter the tribulation period I'm sorry the, uh, the millennial period and you would assume that they would just go all the way through and then you know in other words they're not going to be condemned just because they didn't lose their head. If they right. did not take the mark of the beast, that's the key. If you take the mark of the beast, you can never be saved. Anyway, rabbit trail, but um, uh, here we go. What treasures are you storing up? In the end, there is only one thing of eternal value, which is a relationship with your creator. And this is only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Treasure up for yourselves the knowledge of him by reading your Bible every day, talking to him each moment, and sharing him with others always. This is true treasure. This is Jesus. Okay, verse 2-6. Six.
1: Six. Oh, yeah, we got
0: that only took an hour to get through that verse. <laughs> God will give
1: to each person according to what he has done.
0: Well, that's short. That shouldn't take too long. That's yeah, Psalm that's 62, uh, 12, by the way. So let me see. Do have been I...
1: over that here in the last hour. They what? <laughs> We've been all over that in the last yes, hour. Yes, we have. Well, <laughs>
0: let me go back there. I don't think I have it cited in the um, in the uh, analysis I did, but let me check anyway. Psalm, uh, what did I say? 62, 62 verse 12. 12. Okay, let me go there and read that really quickly. Just uh, 62. And I may cite it in there, but I just don't see it cited, so we'll go there first. Psalm 62, Oh boy! Come on, Charlie. I'd be there an hour ago. All this paper ruffling. Okay, sixty-two, verse twelve says, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work." Okay, and that's what he says here. Uh, verse six: He uh, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So we have uh, care needs to be taken when looking at today's verse and the verses that follow, lest error. Come into our thinking about the nature of salvation and condemnation. Because if you were to just let that be a, a standalone and uh, verse 7, add that in, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek glory honor. Okay? If you take those verses and you just read them without taking them in context, you're going to say, well, see, you can lose your salvation. Um, let's see here. If these verses are taken out of proper biblical context, one could make the case that deeds somehow affect our standing before God and that what we do brings about our justification. Okay, this is contrary to the entire tenor of Scripture and it is not at all what Paul is speaking of. However, this has led to heresy within the church and in with, within many denominations. And I brought something here to show you. Okay, Um Let's see here. Uh, Below will be listed several of the actual canons from the Council of Trent in 1546. Okay, and I will read these to you. Um, Let's see here. These are antithetical to the intent of Scripture and are actually heretical, but they are primary theological tenets of the Roman Catholic Church. That's why I say when people talk about Catholicism, and I think we'll get this done, um, when I talk about Catholicism, I say they ceased being a Christian entity in 1546. They were the church. And that does not mean that there are not saved people within the Catholic Church. That's one thing that really bothers me is when people say, if you're in the Catholic Church, you can't be saved. That's nuts. That's what saves you is the cross of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. his shed blood, okay? I know lots of people that attend Catholic churches that rely solely on Jesus. And why they go to Catholic churches, I don't know. But that's what they do. I know people that go to Methodist churches, which are falling away so quickly... And, you know, they, they want to have tea with their old friends or whatever. I don't personally understand it, but that's fine, okay? Uh, Revelation chapter 3 is very clear that yet there are those who are worthy. They will walk with me dressed in white. He's speaking to a very bad church. He's saying that, you know, all the bad things, and he says, yet there are those of you who are worthy. They will walk with me dressed in white, meaning Christ's righteousness. So um, when people start that, I, don't, I, I, I just have no patience for it. But... Um, I don't understand, but okay, um, let's see here. uh, Where was I? Um, Below I'll list that, 1546. These are, I said that. Okay, although you may not fully understand each of the canons that I am going to read you. Okay? It is good to know what denominations teach, because you got people that are in the Catholic Church, and I'm going to give you a perfect example before I go on. When I was at Grace, about uh, it was later, but uh, the church filled up with like 80 people in one Sunday. And it was when the Church of God over on Fruitville Road finally closed. And all these people came over to Grace. Okay? But before that happened, they, I, I knew half of the church there. And they emailed me, all of them, and they said, well, we need a pastor. We're going to close if we don't get a pastor. And would you be our pastor? And one, I couldn't have been because I'm not ordained through the Church of God, and that's one of the requirements. You've got to go to their seminary and learn all their bad theology. But um, uh, I, I said, I wouldn't do that anyway. I said, if you want me to come in and preach at your church as an itinerant pastor, I will be happy to do that. I do it at the Jehovah's Witnesses. It wouldn't bother me where. As long as they're going to get doctrine, I will preach anywhere. But I can't be a preacher on your payroll because they don't believe this, they don't believe this, they do believe this. And they said, well, we believe what you believe. That's Every one of them that I talked to said exactly the same thing. We believe you're eternally saved. We believe this. And I said, then you should probably not be in the church you're in. Okay, because people don't know the doctrine of their own church. When I was at Grace, the first thing I did during the uh, Bible class I talk, taught was to get what Grace Baptist had as their, their statement, and I read it to the class, and I said, do you understand this? Do you understand this? And most of them had never heard it read, but I wanted people to know what Grace Baptist taught and what their, what their, their claim was as far as their doctrine. Okay, Those people were in that church, and they had no idea that the pastor that they were under was trained in that theology. He probably gave them sermons on apple, you know, pie or something. I don't know what. But if you were to ask him what his doctrine was on these issues, he would have had to have said this is it, unless he signed a doc document which he didn't believe. Either way, that would be inappropriate. So um, that's why I'm saying when you are in a church, you need to know what the doctrine of that church is. Now, if somebody asked me what the doctrine of um, uh, the Superior Word is, you go to our website. And I'm not, I don't really like the, um, uh, what do they call them when you have it? Um, no, 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 no. What do they call it? It's not a mission statement, but a, um, a what? not bylaws either. They've got some every website on it. Statement of, faith. statement of faith. Thank you. That's the words I was looking for. Statement of faith. Okay. Everybody's got them, And unfortunately, 99.72% of all churches simply cut and paste from somebody else. And so the statement of faith is just something that they say. And another problem with it is is statement of faith becomes so long and so minute that it, it's just not a good thing. The statement of faith that I put on ours was John 3.16. I said, for God's that's <laughs> it. Yeah. I'm not getting into all that nonsense. If you want to know what I believe, attend the church. Okay, we'll talk about it. But other than that, a long statement of faith, most of the people in the church never read them, and if they do know what it says, most of the people on the staff don't. So they're irrelevant. It's like um, the,
1: uh the legalese after you, you get an app for free. Oh, yeah, Do absolutely. You
0: Do you sign, agree? And you uh, sign yes because uh, I'm not going to read all that. But I've seen statement sure. of faith that go on and on. They get right. into tithing. They get into this and that. And what? Why is that in your statement of faith? I mean, you know, it's you want to teach that, teach it. But, okay, anyway, um, uh, so uh, you're not going to understand all of the canons I'm going to read you, but it's good to know what they teach. Does their instruction line up with the Bible or not? If not, it's merely an error. A heresy is—is um, is it merely error or is heresy involved? The case of the Catholic Church, heresy is involved. An error in doctrine does not mean it's heretical in nature. Heresy means that if somebody is taught that and they believe it, they will never be saved. But, and believe it or not, a heretic can—heretic can be a saved person. Right. He trusted in Jesus, and now he's teaching heresy. He's not going to lose his salvation, but the people that follow after him are never going to get saved. Right. Error in doctrine means that you're going to have a bad time living out your life in Christ, but it doesn't mean you're not saved. So there's a difference between error and heresy. But um, these are actually eternity deciding principles concerning salvation if they involve heresy. What Paul is saying in today's verse in context with the surrounding verses and the rest of scripture is that we are either justified or condemned by God's grace through faith. That's made very clear Ephesians 2 4 what does it say in Ephesians 2 4 let me read it to you Um, and then you get into everybody knows Ephesians 2 8 9 but Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says um, what's that Uh, um, yeah 289 is is, uh, uh, that's right but Ephesians 2 4 let me get there it says um, but God who is rich in mercy because of this great love with which he loves loved us Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, past tense, and made us sit together, past tense, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace is a gift. It is unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Okay, unmerited favor, it's a gift if you have to do something for a gift it's not a gift, thank you Um, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest to everyone um, lest anyone should boast, okay, so it's a gift, if it's a gift and he takes it back, then it wasn't a gift at all, okay doctrine matters I, I don't know how many times I've said that, but I can't say it enough. Doctrine actually matters if you think issues through logically. I'm going to take this verse from James and I'm going to apply it to what I believe. That, you know, James, when I'm talking about, uh, what is it, 222, 224, where it says uh, the exact opposite of Paul, and people take it out of context, and the, yeah, faith without works is dead, and you need to. One that is written not by Paul to the church through the church age, and it's written to the Jews, and it's written after Hebrews, which explains in advance of him writing what he wrote that all of the things that he refers to in James are actually explained in Hebrews as by faith. So it doesn't matter. We won't go into that today because it'll take all day. But you have to take things in context. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Everything that we need to know for being saved, for conducting our life within the Gentile church age is written by Paul. Everything, okay? Everything else is for our body of knowledge and for our understanding the dispensational model of of what God is doing in redemptive history. But Paul was selected for the message for the church age. If you don't agree with that, I can't help you because that is what the Bible says. Um, uh, Jesus even says it in in Acts. He says, go, this is my selected instrument for this purpose. Anyway, um, so, uh, we'll go on. Um, well, um, oh, yeah, Ephesians 2, 4, by calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, Romans ten nine and 13, we can read this. It's one of those very simple to uh, remember uh, uh, verses that uh, I don't know how people can take this and say, well, but, very clear, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be maybe saved right that doesn't say maybe it says you will be saved all right and then verse 13 it says for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and he explained what that means a couple verses earlier you're saved okay either you're saved or you're not saved um, anyway uh, let's go on where was I okay uh, uh, Romans 10 when this occurs we are sealed with the Holy Spirit which is a deposit or guarantee of our eternal state anybody know where that is
1: come on chapter one.
0: Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 let me read it to you think through the logic while I'm reading this to you Ephesians chapter 1, 13. this is two verses that even if you don't remember the verses remember where they are these two in him meaning Jesus you also trusted remember he just says you will be saved okay you also trusted after you heard the word of truth faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom Having believed, okay, Charlie, I believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Here's verse fourteen. Here's what it says. Who is the guarantee? It doesn't say that it's a possible guarantee if you do something else later. It says he is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, meaning the church, to the praise of his glory. A guarantee. A down payment. It's a deposit. That's what exactly what it means. It means an earnest deposit. When you go and you make a deposit on something, you are guaranteed to receive that back. That verse there, Ephesians 1 13 and 14, is pictured in Genesis 38 when Tamar dressed up like a harlot. And she, if you haven't watched that sermon, go watch that sermon because that is one of the most beautiful pictures of eternal salvation you will find in the Bible. Genesis 38. Let's read it because we've got a couple minutes. And we'll get into the canons in just a second. This short chapter, it's very hard to figure unless you go and watch it in a Genesis 38 sermon, you will love it. You will absolutely love the picture of Christ in there. You wonder why these obscure things, why is Dinah's rape mentioned in uh, Genesis? It's perfectly explained there, believe me. Go and watch those sermons if you want to know. It is perfectly explained. The Lord is showing us what he's doing way, way in advance. I'm going to read it really quickly. Just follow along. It came to pass at that time that Judah, listen to the number of names. Judah saw there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite who was named Shuah, and he married her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. And she conceived again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. There you've got seven names so far. He was at Chaziv, another name, when she bore him. The one person you would think would be named is not named at all. The woman... Sir. She's not even named. Why would the Lord do that? Now, she's named in the book of Chronicles, but there's a reason why her name isn't given, okay? Because it's not relevant to the story. Every single one of those names is pointing to something, every one of them, okay? She, uh, uh, then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and um, her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother, Okay, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. The child isn't going to be named by him and he doesn't want that. So, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Okay, the Lord is introduced there. Why? Because the Lord, when the term the Lord is used, it's speaking of the redemptive process. If it said just God, we could use that as a general precept within the Bible. It doesn't. It says the Lord. Okay, um, therefore uh, he killed him also. Because not everybody that's done this has died. There was a specific reason why it says the Lord and why he killed him. Then Judah said to Tamar's daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son shall has grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. He doesn't want to give him his third son. And Tamar went in and dwelt with her father.